All right, we're in Mark chapter 6. So if you have a Bible, uh, find that. If you have a Red Pew Bible, that's page 842. We're going to finish out chapter 6, beginning in verse 45. And we're going to look at a couple scenes here, and then Albert will come and walk us through this. So Mark chapter 6, verse 45. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, where he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. The word of the Lord. Happy Lunar New Year. Um, for any of you who are wondering, yes, I still accept red pockets. So um, just letting you know. Um, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for your word, and Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak to us this morning uh, as we are in desperate need of your guidance in our lives, in Jesus' name, amen. We are back into our study of the Gospel of Mark. It's been a couple of weeks now since uh, um, ending our Advent series, and so anyone who is unfamiliar with what a gospel is, uh, simply put, a gospel is the story of Jesus. And we have four perspectives recorded for us in the New Testament from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who document for us the accounts of Jesus' life, his birth, um, his uh, death, his resurrection, his ascension, and also his return. And so we are reading from Mark's perspective, Mark's account. Matthew, Mark, and Luke... And John, they each have their own perspectives recorded as they were inspired by the Holy Spirit to give us their respective accounts. And Mark wanted to highlight the Old Testament right away to show us that the Old Testament expected, uh, was expecting Messiah, that, that Jesus will be the fulfillment of these things, everything prophesied in the Old Testament as the Son of God, as the Messiah, as the Christ. And we see this right away in Mark's gospel back in chapter 1, starting in verse 15. We've looked at this verse several times throughout our study to get our bearings as to what Mark is about. And it reads this, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Mark makes it very clear that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one in the Old Testament, the Christ. And this is a very essential thing for us to keep in our minds as we study the Gospel of Mark. So 
Whatever incredible works and teachings we learn from, the, from Jesus in Mark's account, we, we need to see it in light of who Jesus is. When we look at Jesus walking on water today, we need to see him not simply as someone who can perform miracles, but the promised one of God who came to save the world. Why does Mark record for us so many of Jesus' miracles? And it's this reason. It's so that it helps us see who Jesus really is. And so last week we saw from Mark chapter 6 verses 14 and 15 that a lot of people didn't know who Jesus really was. It reads, King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah, and others said he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. No one around Jesus at this time identified Jesus as Messiah, the promised one from the Old Testament. People were interested in knowing who Jesus was, and and those with any familiarity with the Old Testament had this curiosity to find out who Jesus was. So by the time we get to the early readers of Mark's gospel, those folks would be really keen in understanding and interested in discovering who Jesus really was. And if you were an early follower of Jesus in the early church, you'd definitely want to know who Jesus was because your life was at stake because you were persecuted for your faith. Now, I think the further we are from persecution, the more self-centered we get. We start to look at the scriptures from a me perspective when in actuality, the scriptures, the gospel is all about Jesus And so we start plugging ourselves into the story or we start immediately looking for applications for my context, for for my life. Now, of course, the Bible has applications for our lives, but that's not why Mark wrote the gospel. Mark didn't start writing the gospel down thinking, you know, like in 2017, those people will be able to put themselves in the boat and think about, like, what does this all mean? And Jesus walking on water and all this. That, that, that's not why he did that. His intent was to portray Christ and what happened, right? The promised one in the Old Testament who reconciles holy God to sinful people through his death, resurrection, ascension, and return. And that through this relationship with Messiah, with Jesus, we identify with him as Savior and God. Of course, there are applications as to how the Bible speaks to us and applies to us. But we can't lose sight of Jesus. Otherwise, those applications and those lessons, they will still not address sin and the need we have for God. You can pick any social justice issue that is out there today. There are many. There are many that we are to fight against, to resist against. And yet we still see people's hearts are very evil. And even though women can vote and there's, there's still so much prejudice against women in the workplace, that even though black people can vote and there are laws against discrimination, there are still these very clear lines of discrimination that are there, but they can't be seen. And if we don't address repentance, hearts will not change. 
And yes, we still protest, we still march, we still vote, we still exercise our voices for the voiceless. I need to make something very clear because of things that have happened this week. We are for refugees. We are for immigrants at our church. And, it, and I'm not talking about politics at all. I'm talking about our theology. This is our theology. This is in the Bible. Because who were the Israelites? Who were God's people? They were refugees. They were immigrants. Who are we on this earth? We are known as sojourners, as aliens. I'm not making any of this stuff up. It's all in our Bible. I don't want to get sidetracked. So back here we are. So... <laughs> But in all of this darkness and in all of this evil, we can't look past Jesus. Because none of this injustice stops until his return. Yet you and I are given the call to be instruments of bringing heaven to earth. We have responsibilities to one another to be Christ-like to one another, and we can't lose sight of Jesus. The Holocaust was just commemorated, not too long ago. Was this yesterday? Day before? It didn't happen that long ago. Women's suffrage was not that long ago. The civil rights movement was not that long ago. It has only been a mere few decades since those events. There are people who are still alive today who experience those events. And we know that racism is still very much alive. We know that gender discrimination is still very much alive. There are so many injustices in our world. I don't have the time to name all the ones that I know, and I don't even know all of them. Are we that arrogant to think that we, as fallible human beings, have all the answers? Because in the last several thousand years, we haven't done that well. Right? I mean, the evidence is now. Don't lose sight of Jesus. The Bible tells us that we are all sinners. Therefore, there is sin present in us and around us. We are broken people in a broken world. And when we read the gospel, we see Jesus who came to deal with this brokenness. Our brokenness individually and the brokenness of our world. Jesus, who was not broken, he was sinless, became broken for us. Broken on the cross for you and for me, for our brokenness. God is dealing with our brokenness and the brokenness of our world through Jesus right now. It is a dynamic thing that is happening. It was done on the cross and he continues to do that. That's where the entire gospel is moving. The whole story of Jesus is pointing to the cross. And all these events in his life recorded for us by Mark point us to Jesus and how he remedies our brokenness. See, there's, there's, there has been no time in history when things have not been broken. Can we point to one? It's never happened. So we cannot lose sight of Jesus. And let's not lose sight of Jesus as we look at our text this morning. 
Verse 45, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. I, I, I just find this so fascinating as to why Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go immediately. Those words just pop out to me. Because these guys were doing some pretty good things. They just fed thousands of people in a miraculous way. You would think like, hey, let's stick around a little bit and celebrate about what we've done. I mean, look at what has happened. All the baskets we have from two loaves of, uh, uh, from, from two fish and five loaves of bread. Like, let's, let's just celebrate for a while as to the miracle that just happened. But why were they in such a hurry to move on? Why did Jesus get them in a boat and like, get out of here? Mark doesn't give us the reason why, but John does. In John's gospel, it's recorded for us in John chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So we read here that Jesus did not come to be the type of king that these people wanted, and these people didn't get the type of king that Jesus was. They had no idea about how Jesus would make things for them. They thought, hey, if, if, if this is the guy that feeds all of us, maybe he can make things nicer for us. Maybe things will get more comfortable for us because those Romans don't treat us very well. They are very oppressive to us. They're, they're enslaving us to just do their bidding and taxing us so much and doing all these things. Maybe Jesus would come and he would fix all that, that is wrong with, with what's going on right now, forgetting that Christ is a king who is... One that experiences suffering and meekness. That he came to be a servant, not to be served. That the way of Christ as king consists of disgrace and dishonor and agony. Which is a very foreign idea and concept to people in Jesus' day. And a very foreign idea for us today. There are Christians who believe that being a Christian means that you're going to be wealthy. And no one wants that to be more true than me. <laughs> but it's just not the truth. I wish it was. I really do. And that all your problems will be solved once you come to Jesus. That everything surrounding your life gets better and all the health issues you experience, they'll all be gone. Maybe some of that will happen. Maybe. But it's not guaranteed. There's no guarantee that all those things will happen for us when we become Christians. They might. See, when Jesus becomes your Lord, He's Lord. So it's not like you get to order Him around to do your bidding. Right? So He's Lord. He becomes the Lord of your life but he becomes the Lord of your life out of his suffering, out of his pain, out of his meekness and his disgrace and agony and dishonor. So you see the king that we have? He's not that prideful, arrogant, narcissistic, entitled, out-of-touch entity. He's not like that. He came to triumph over eternal matters, not just the temporary ones that are in front of us. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. 
And that's our king who we are to imitate. We see Jesus communing with God when, when people want to give him power, when they want to give him fame. He's not looking to give what the people want to give him. He is looking out what his heavenly father is guiding him to do. And he's looking for that guidance from his heavenly father, not from the people. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land and he saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. I love that he inserted the word painfully because I can just imagine, come on, uh." I just see the agony in their face. Now, do you notice that they faced a hardship here? And that it was Jesus who was the one who made them get into the boat and go. This is kind of scary, isn't it? That it's Jesus who actually made them get into the boat and go into that hardship. And the last time they faced a hardship in the middle of the sea, Jesus was with them in the boat. And this time he's not. He sent them out. And so I wonder what they were thinking while they're in the middle of the sea, painfully rowing against this headwind and thinking like, oh man, not again. And this time I don't, we don't even have Jesus to, to plead to, to like go to. And keep in mind, some of these guys are really experienced in the water, right? They've, they've been fishing these sea, this sea and, and this is their livelihood. This is what they're really accustomed to. And they must have just been thinking like, this is just not good. Now, the hardship that they faced wasn't because they didn't listen to Jesus. The hardship they faced was actually because they did listen to Jesus. That's horrible, isn't it? Like, <laughs> just being honest. Like, that's terrible. But they listened to him and see where it got them? See, our hardships in life, they don't disappear because we listen to God and we're obedient to what God tells us. See, sometimes he even sends us into the very hardships that we're experiencing. So this idea that all the hardships disappear when Jesus enters your life, it is absolutely false. We see it here. See, obedience to Jesus doesn't equate to smooth sailing And when life isn't smooth and it isn't trouble-free and all these sorts of things that we thought, you know, if I gave my life to Christ and everything should be okay. No. The question is, do you still trust him to be God, to be Lord, even though he's sending you into a hard time? Will we still trust that he is gracious, loving, and he deeply cares for what we're going through, even though he's sending us into a dark time and about the fourth watch of the night he came to them walking on the sea he meant to pass them by but when they saw him walking on the sea they thought it was a ghost and cried out for they all saw him and were terrified but immediately he spoke to them and said take heart it is I do not be afraid now the fourth watch is between 3 and 6 a.m. which means that they were out there in pitch black darkness it is dark And in that really dark moment is when Jesus comes to them walking on the sea. And he showed up at the darkest time. You know that saying, it's darkest before dawn? And he's showing up in that time frame. And you notice how Jesus is 
both divine and he's both man. And that he's concerned with the feeding of the thousands of people and he feeds these people in a physical way. And then he's also fully divine in that he is walking on water. Then Jesus got into the boat and some may be thinking at this time, Jesus is going to let him have it. Because they've experienced all these things with Jesus and you see the way they're reacting in fear. But how does Jesus respond to them? He doesn't rebuke them. He gets in the boat and he says, take heart. It's me. It's me. Don't be afraid. Now why did Jesus walk on the sea? Same reason the other miracles happen. It continues to point to the signs of him being the promised one. In Job chapter 9 verse 8 it reads this. Who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. It's talking about God. And this is here Jesus trampling on the waves of the sea. It is pointing to his divinity. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. You see, Jesus gets into the boat with us. He doesn't take away the dark times. He doesn't take away the rough seas. He gets in there with you. He gets in there with us. And those dark times, those challenges, those hardships that he sends us into, he's with us. And in those times of testing where he sends you out and he doesn't appear to be right there in the boat with you, when he does show up, it's not like he reprimands you. So like, what are you thinking? How come you don't have faith? How many times do we have to go through this? How many times do I have to tell you the same things over and over again about not being afraid and moving out there in faith? He doesn't do that. He says, take heart. And he reminds us, it's me. You're a loving Savior. The guy that died for you on the cross, it's, it's me. I, I love you. I care for you so much. Don't be scared. We're, we're in this together. We're going to go through this together. And when it seems like we're not moving forward and everything is pushing against us and we're trying our hardest to get ahead but we're not going anywhere, he gets into the boat and the wind ceases. And, and, and get this, we're still in the dark. We're still in the dark. We're still in the middle of our mess. We're still dealing with our junk. But he's in it, in our stuff with us and we, we can progress forward. See, he's in our darkest times. He's in our toughest hours. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. See, they were just at the feeding of the thousands, right? They experienced all that, and they, and they still couldn't get who Jesus was. They were with Jesus all that time throughout Jesus' ministry, but their hearts were hardened. I mean, how can this possibly be? They were fearful, astounded by this ghost-like figure, even though they've witnessed so many miraculous things from Jesus. I don't know about you, but I, I would think that you'd feel pretty invincible knowing that Jesus had been with you this whole time, that even if they did see a ghost, they'd be like, ghost, you don't know who you're messing with. They just saw Jesus heal that demoniac legion. Like, what's this little ghost? Why does that little ghost scare them? And, and so you'd think, like, man, how come they don't feel invincible? Like, how come they don't feel like they can conquer anything? This is a picture of you and me, isn't it? Because we've experienced Jesus in very personal ways. 
We've experienced Jesus come through for us in really difficult times. We've seen him do miraculous things. Yet there are times we have very little faith. There are times where our hearts are hardened. Even though we know Jesus and we've experienced Jesus, we've felt his presence, we've seen him do miraculous things, yet we still doubt and we still have this unbelief at times. We, we know the Bible enough, a lot of us, to teach it. And we can preach it. And we can all sing worship songs together and fellowship with one another. We can pray and we can do all the things that followers of Jesus can do but still find our hearts hardened. And we need to be careful of the hardened heart. And it's something that can happen to any of us even when we're in the middle of serving God, in the middle of doing everything that we think is doing the right thing. And here's a warning that it's not about the proximity to God and what he's doing, but it's about the intimacy with God you have in communing with him. And for anyone who finds themselves in a position like this, it's not a reprimand. Don't take it as condemnation. He's getting into the boat and he's reminding us that it's him. It's Jesus. Don't be afraid. We're going to go through this together. He's not looking to condemn. He's not looking to judge. It is his kindness that leads us to repentance. And it's our hardened hearts that leads us to a paralyzing fear. When they crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came... In villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched, it were made well. So much for rest and a desolate place for them, as they've been trying to get that all this time. They did get the desolate place thing. I think them in the sea by themselves, that was desolate. But so much for rest, right? It's happening all over again. They were supposed to get some rest and they're going over to Gennesaret and all these people show up and they feed the thousands. And Jesus says, all right, go, go over there, Bethsaida, we're going we're gonna to get some rest. And they're going and then all these people recognize. And, and It's not necessarily a bad thing when so many people realize their brokenness and that they need Jesus. And many of these people, they were physically broken and they, they had the faith that Jesus could address that brokenness. But just because you believe something doesn't mean that you act on it. Thank God these people acted on it. Right? They, they, they brought their sick to Jesus. Do we know who Jesus really is? He came to reconcile broken people, a, a broken world to a holy and righteous God. So our knowledge of him isn't merely one of a historical Jesus, but a faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior of the world. When we understand who Jesus is, do we realize our own brokenness and recognize our own need for Jesus to mend that brokenness? See, the people who came to Jesus, they, they knew that they needed him. 
do you know your need for Jesus? And if you don't, it is not a judgment or a condemnation to you. But here's an exhortation that maybe you haven't fully grasped your brokenness. If you recognize who Jesus really is, and you recognize who you really are and the condition that you are in, do you have the faith that he can fix that brokenness? And if you do, ask. That's the gospel. That's it. Sometimes we complicate the gospel, right? We, We throw things in there to complicate the gospel quite a bit. And when we're sharing the gospel, we share about like finding one's purpose or finding life's purpose or making sense of the human existence or uh, serving humanity, living better lives, being a better steward of the earth, overcoming addictions, improving relationships. All of those things are wonderful and can happen in coming to know Jesus, but they're not guaranteed. They're not guaranteed. But if we come to Jesus without ever recognizing who he really is and who we really are, and he's the one to change us from that broken state through faith in him by repentance, we'll never experience the fullness of Jesus Christ. No matter if we are doing those other wonderful things. No matter if those things do happen. We'll never get the fullness of Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 19.10 tells us, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. See, Jesus came to save us from sin. That is the fundamental brokenness to be saved from. And that may include saving marriages, financial ruin, addictions, other desperate needs that people in the world have. He bore all of those sins on the cross. All of our present, past, future sins, they're all on the cross. And we are given this newness of life in him. Many people in the regions of Galilee and Judea, they they recognize Jesus. Do we? Do we really recognize who he is? And not being distracted by those other things. Because those other things, those other injustices can be remedied temporarily without the hearts of people being changed. And that's where we are today. We know of certain things that have been wrong in all this time, but people still kill each other. People still steal from each other. People are still lying to one another. Let's pray. God, we ask for true heart change. We ask, Lord, that in those circumstances that we are in, that we recognize that you are with us, that you remind us of who you are and the great love that you have for each one of us, that you encourage us not to be afraid which is very telling because it means that we are afraid. And so, God, would you equip our church to move forward in such a way that we are advocates 
for those who are in need of advocacy. But let us not forget you, Jesus, in all of this. In Jesus' name, amen.